If you slipped in after we greeted you this morning, we want to thank you so much for worshiping with us today. Um, if it's your first time, we're honored that you're here. We know you have a lot of choices uh, with church, and we want to thank you for being here with us today. We are in week 47, so we'll get to 48 in Mark. And uh, I'll tell you where we're heading next uh, after Easter. We are heading to the book of Colossians, all right? Colossians is three chapters, all right? We are heading to the book of Colossians. That is both for your sanity and for mine, all right? We started in the book of Mark in February of last year. And we, uh, we've done some one-offs, which is why we're only at 47 weeks. Uh, but we have done some one-offs, I believe actually maybe started in January. And um, yeah, we've been through our first gospel. So everybody should be, if you've been here in our church for a year and a half, you should be well-versed in the gospel of Mark. All right, We have been following Jesus through the book of Mark. The first half of the book of Mark, just so, we get where we're, just so you get where we're at, First half of the book of Mark is really all about Jesus and the works that he performed, the miracles he performed, the people that he healed, all of the signs and wonders that he, that he did. And then there takes a, there takes a shift in uh, chapters 9 and 10, uh, a shift toward uh, then focusing on this passion week, this final week of his life. And we've spent those, these last few weeks focusing on the last seven days of the life of Christ. And I think that's um, pretty telling in all the Gospels. Uh, it's, it's very much the last week of his life takes up a whole uh, ton of the Gospels because it is so important. Today, the event that we're going to speak about, if you want to turn in your Bibles, you'll, we'll be in Mark 15. We'll be beginning in verse 21. We won't, we're not going to read yet. But Mark 15 is where we'll be. If you have your Bibles, great. If not, no big deal. Open up an app or once we get to the verses, we'll throw them on the screen for you. <clears throat> But today's a tough one to preach, and you might say, Josh, you're a, you're, a, you're a pastor, you've been preaching, I've been preaching now for, good night, 15 years, 16 years. Um, today should be easy, and in a way it should be. Tim, Tim's going to do Audible Bible. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Tim hadn't had enough time in the service already, and he wanted to make sure, no, I'm just kidding, I'm messing, I'm messing. <laughs> I can only do that to Tim. <laughs> but today we're going to preach a sermon on, on the cross. This cross here specifically has been here for I have no idea how long. This cross was here before our church ever came into this building. Um. If we're not careful, the cross becomes a symbol, just a symbol. If we're not careful, a cross becomes an accessory. <clears throat> but the cross was the cross was brutal. It's the best word I can think of. The cross was had there was no positivity surrounding the cross. Those who would find themselves on a cross were those guilty of sins like murder. <clears throat> it was the resting place of sinners, for sure. But this one was a little different. The crucifixion of Jesus this morning was a little different. And I want us to 
understand by way of introduction this morning that what we're going to speak about and what we're going to read about today was the fulfillment of many, many prophecies. One of the ways we know or we, one of the ways that we say the Bible is true is that all throughout the Old Testament there were prophetic statements that were made about the crucifixion of Jesus. Then they came to pass at the crucifixion of Jesus. It's one of the ways we validate the Bible. Hey, in the book of Amos, it says this, and now we see it here. In the book of Daniel, it said this, now we see it here. In the book of Psalms, we saw this, and now we see it. And so, if I may, just by way of introduction today, I want us to see some prophecy and fulfillment that we're going to see in the crucifixion. First, in Psalm 69, verse 21, For my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. The fulfillment here in Mark chapter 15, we'll see they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh. A prophecy in Psalm 22, verse 18, they divided my garments among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. By the way, if you happen to be in our church all the way back when we we first began, October of 2017, we began a series in November on Psalm 23. Psalms, Psalm, the three, three Psalms, 22, 23, and 24, all have prophetic statements in them. They are all Psalms of the cross and of Jesus. And so if you want to go back and look at those Psalms in the light of that, but in Psalm 22, they divided my garments among themselves. They cast lots for my clothing. Here in Mark, we will see that they divided his clothes, casting lots for them. Prophecy fulfilled. In Isaiah chapter 53, an incredible uh, passage of scripture in an incredible chapter of the Bible. He was counted among the rebels. In Mark 15, today we will see that they crucified him. They, they crucified two criminals with him, one on his right and one on his left. Prophecy fulfilled. In Psalm 22 again, back to that psalm, they pierced my hands and my feet. In Mark 15 today we will see, then they crucified him. Amos chapter 8 and verse 9, in that day This is the declaration of the Lord God. I will make the sun go down at noon. I will darken the land in the daytime. And today we'll find in Mark 15 that when it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Back in Psalm 22.1, you'll hear the psalmist prophetically say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in Mark 15 today we will see, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Back in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 9, they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. And in Mark chapter 15, we see Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, brought some fine linen and wrapped him in in the linen. Then he placed him in a tomb cut out of the rock. Prophecy fulfilled. What we are going to speak about today and what we're going, going to look at in God's word today is not an accident It was nothing that just happened. It was nothing that took God or Jesus by surprise. This was literally hundreds, thousands of years in the making. What we're going to speak about today, the cross of Jesus Christ. This was not a surprise. This was actually a fulfillment of God's sovereign plan from the beginning of time. You see, in the beginning, God, He created, right? He created a lot of things and 
One of those things he created was human beings, man and woman, Adam and Eve. And from that creation of human beings, the first one, we rebelled and we sinned. And from Genesis chapter 3, we begin to see the gospel. We begin to see Adam and Eve and their sin. What do they do? They realize they were naked. And what do they do? They covered their nakedness with leaves from a plant. And Jesus comes down and he sees them and he goes, Who told you you were naked? It was the sin that had entered into their hearts and their minds. Told them that they were naked. They covered themselves on their own. And Jesus said, No, take those off. And Jesus gave them the skin of an animal. It's the very first showing that we're going to try to cover our sins on our own, but there had to be bloodshed. There had to be bloodshed. It started all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. This crucifixion day, this plan for Jesus. Every meticulous detail of this day was ordained of God. And even in its brutality, even in all the horrific portions and parts of this day, this was the plan. As we walk through today's text, I want us to think about that in our heads. This was the plan, okay, because of our sin. As we read through this text this morning, as I preach through this message today, I would like for you to keep in the back of your head, this was the plan because of my sin. Now we could say because of our sin, because of the sin of the world, but no, for me today, Josh, this was the plan because of my sin. Verse 21, Mark chapter 15, then they compelled a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. Rewind to last week. He was beaten after he was given over by Pilate and they released Barabbas, if you remember last Sunday. He was beaten and he was handed his cross under the excruciating weight of the cross and under the lack of blood from all the bloodshed that had taken place. This man Simon is called to help him carry the cross. And by the way, that is simply a nod to the humanity of Jesus during this. Jesus was 100% God. He could have very well easily carried his own cross. This was simply a nod to remind us that Jesus felt every single blow. He felt every single scar. He felt every single wound. Verse 22, And they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the inscription of his accusation was written above the king of the Jews. That's what he claimed to be, right? And him they also crucified, and with him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says he was numbered with the transgressors. Prophecy fulfilled. 
And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. They had heard what he said. He would be destroyed and three days later he would rise again. They say, Oh, well, if you can do that, why don't you just come down from the cross? Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking among themselves with the scribes. These were the religious leaders of the day, the priests, the scribes. They said he saved others, but himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. They said, hey, listen, if you, say, if you are who you say you are, come down from the cross. If you come down off that cross on your own, then we'll believe. They're always looking for signs. They're always looking for wonders. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. We know one thief in particular did not. Verse 33, now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A nod back to Psalm 22, prophecy fulfilled. Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, look, he is, he's calling for Elijah. That someone ran and filled a, filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed, offered it to him to drink, saying, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. And then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. We're going to end today with the significance of that verse. So when the centurion, I love this, who stood opposite him, saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, the centurion said, truly this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the less, and of Joseph, and of Salome, who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. May I say, in passing, not part of the sermon today, I think it's interesting, the most faith-filled people around the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, the, the most faith-filled people were the ladies, were the women. They were the ones there at the crucifixion. And who, who remind me again who the first ones were to go to the tomb to see if he had risen? The ladies. I find, that, I find that interesting and I find that significant today even though it's not a part of our sermon. There's nothing like a woman of faith. There's a lot in this text today. And certainly the gospel of Mark is the briefest of all the gospels. And so, so that our series will make sense, I'm going to stay with majority of what the gospel of Mark says and try not to use the other Gospels. I understand there are details about the crucifixion that are in other Gospels that we're not here today. But just for, for sake of our series, we're going to stay with this text. Can we pray together and then jump into our text? Heavenly Father, speak through your word. And Jesus, the only thing I know to say today is thank you. In your name we pray. 
Amen. Number one, I want us to see this morning, number one, that the cross displayed his love. The cross displayed the love of Jesus. You see, after Pilate released Barabbas and Jesus was taken into custody, if you remember, they put the the purple robe on him and they put the crown of thorns on his head and they began to beat him. As Jeff mentioned last week, that scourging, it's the cat of nine tails where they would rip his body to shreds. And they ripped that purple robe off of him and they put his other clothes back on and he began to walk down the road. If, you were, if, you're, super, if you're super Christian, you'll recognize the term the Via Dolorosa. Anybody recognize that term? That means you're a super Christian and you went to church in the 90s. I would sing it for you, but I'm not going to. That was the road of sorrows. If you want to look at it this way, it was almost as if Jesus was given the cross and the road to walk. It was almost as if he was leading his own funeral procession. Follow me to my death. Peter. 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 Follow me to my death. Nowhere to be found, by the way. But down this road of sorrows, this Via Dolorosa, as it's, as it's called, this funeral procession as Jesus and Simon carried the cross to Golgotha, the place of the skull. This cross, by the way, was a degrading emblem and symbol. It was the lowest form of crucifixion. It was repulsive. It was graphic. It was painful. As the spikes were driven into his hands and into his feet, as his feet would more likely have been crossed over on top of one another, and a spike driven through both of them, as his hands would have spikes driven through them, he began the experience of the cross. Jesus had been stripped naked, Beaten and unrecognizable. I understand today that we can't accurately display Jesus on the cross as the Bible tells us that he was. I understand the graphic nature of that. But I want to warn us today about smiling, white-robed pictures of Jesus on the cross. That emblem or symbol is actually 180 degrees different than the reality of the cross. It was painful. It was graphic. He was stripped and beaten, blood. He looked like literally like a piece of meat as he hung on that cross. Many people would die because they would have to lift up to breathe. And it would tear a little bit more from their feet and from their hands. They'd let down and it would tear a little bit more. Tear a little bit more. Obviously, if you bring all the Gospels together, you know that not a bone of his body was broken. 
For most people, if they were struggling and they kept hanging on because they could push up to breathe, they would just come by and they would just break their legs because you could no longer push up and you'd die. We know that Jesus, when they came to him, they simply put a sword through his side so that prophecy would be fulfilled that he would never break a bone. But I'm not doing it justice today. And I have no videos for us. I can't do it justice. There have been movies that have come out that have done a a pretty good job. The Passion of the Christ is one that comes to mind right off the bat. Uh, The Chosen uh, TV series is another one where we try to depict Jesus and we, we, we try to. But we can't this morning. But the best I know how, I want us to understand that Jesus didn't die on the cross with a smile on his face and a white robe on for a cute painting in our dining room. This was brutal. This was agony. But this cross reveals the love of God. This cross reveals the love of God as nothing else in history ever could. Jesus experienced the cross and everything that came with it. His body being beaten, torn, cut, trying to take those breaths. All for the sake of love. The reality of the cross this morning is to tell you and to tell me that you are Loved this morning. And may I say this, if you walked in today and you've beaten yourself up and you have low self-esteem and life has hit you hard and you don't think good of yourself and, and you, you, uh, you, you degrade yourself and you tell yourself things every morning and every day in your heart and in your mind that you just aren't good enough and that no one loves you. Listen, there may, there may be few people on this earth who love you, but may I say this? The cross tells you that Jesus loves you. Period. Period. And when mother and father and brother and sister forsake you, when friends walk out on you this morning, the reality of the cross is the reality that Jesus loves you. John 3.16. Ever heard of it? For God, He didn't just love the world. He so loved it that He gave. He gave. I had to put this in the King James. It's the only way I know it, man. Forgive me. He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world. This text, Mark 15, the experience of that cross, first and foremost, displayed the love of God for His people. God loved you so much that He sent Jesus Having no sin, 
to the cross for you. And maybe you just needed to hear that today. Maybe you're a believer. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus today. And maybe you have been for many years. Maybe today all you need is just a reminder. Remind me of the cross. Remind me of my sin. Remind me of my Savior. Maybe today that's all you need. But secondly, I want us to see that the cross displayed His Lordship. The cross displayed His Lordship. Look back in our text, okay? Mark chapter 15, verse 25. Now it was the third hour, and they crucified Him. And the inscription of His accusation was written above, the King of the Jews. While the persecutors of Jesus rejected and refused to comprehend the love that was being displayed on the cross at that very moment. Pilate, you remember Pilate from last week? The one who said, this man's done no wrong. I'm washing my hands of this. Pilate, the governor, the political leader of that day. Pilate made sure that they knew just who Jesus was as he inscribed the king of the Jews. In fact, in John's gospel, I will take a brief step out of Mark. All right? In John's gospel, it tells us that the crowd wanted Pilate to write, this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. But Pilate had none of it. Pilate was boldly declaring that Jesus was indeed who he claimed to be. And his royal title, while not acknowledged in his three and a half year ministry or his 33 and a half year life on this earth, while his title of Lord was not recognized by the masses during that time, at his crucifixion, when it mattered, when everyone was watching, above his head read, the King of the Jews. He was the Lord of all creation. He was the Lord of Lords. And the, and the cross this morning doesn't just display God's love for us or God's love for you, but it also declares Him Lord over us and Lord over you. And may I say this morning, if you truly comprehend the love of Jesus, then you will readily submit to the Lordship of Jesus. Say it again. If you truly comprehend the love of Jesus, you will readily submit to the lordship of Jesus. You see, Jesus on that cross was love, but Jesus on that cross was Lord. He was Lord. Also, I do believe that is a nod to the fact that I truly believe Pilate was a believer. I believe we not only saw it in the way that he dealt with Jesus and Barabbas, but I think we saw it here as we peeked into John's gospel for a second. The cross, the symbol of God's love, demands submission to Jesus' lordship. And may I ask you today, is Jesus Lord of your life? I've heard people say, Jesus is Lord whether you make him Lord or not. I understand that. I'm asking you practically. Has the love of Jesus transformed into him lording in your life, in your heart? 
as the hymn writer said, love so amazing, so divine. That love, it demands my soul, my life, and my all. You know what this hymn writer was saying? If, if that love of Jesus is so amazing, then he ought to be the Lord of everything in our hearts and everything in our lives. So the, the cross displayed his love. The cross displayed his lordship. But thirdly this morning, I want us to see the cross displayed his atonement. His atonement. I'm not going to read this next text that I, that I was going to read due to time this morning. But verses 27 through verse 37, we see what really took place on the cross. We saw the people mocking him more. You can save others, but you can't save yourself. We see darkness come in the middle of the day. We see in the ninth hour Jesus cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Atonement. Atonement. Substitutionary atonement refers to the fact that Jesus' death on the cross was the true substitute for the sinner's death. Listen to me. That the death that Jesus died on the cross was the true substitute for your death. That not only did he pay for your sin and give you mercy, but then he gave you grace. He gave you his righteousness this morning. The substitutionary atonement. His death made atonement for you and for me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Anyone ever wonder why Jesus had to look at his father and say, why have you forsaken me? I fully believe, because right before that in other gospels, we find that he said he was ready. Bring the cup. I believe that Jesus became sin as, as well as I'm standing here today. Jesus became our sin on the cross. And the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. So much that God had to turn his back because God cannot look on sin. He could not look on his son as his son bore the sin of the world. That is the atonement this morning. He became, he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That is atoning power today. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, who himself, Jesus, Jesus bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. It's the great exchange. It's your sin for his perfect saving. It's all the wrong you ever done for the perfection of Jesus. 
That's what took place on the cross. That's what took place as he hung up on the cross at Golgotha, the place of the skull. That's what it was this morning. All of us, like the thieves on either side of him, have sin in us and our, and our flesh. We have the penalty of sin that's resting on us. The wages of sin is death. And we have death resting on us in our sin. But those of us, like those two thieves, the one would turn to him and believe. Those of us who are in Christ, those of us who have believed on the name of Jesus Christ, the penalty has shifted and the penalty of sin is no longer on us. But the penalty of sin was shifted and was given to Jesus this morning. And so my question to you, is your sin on you or is your sin on Jesus? Those are the only options that we have this morning. We either atone for our own sins and we bear the marks and the burdens of our own sins, and that will land us in a place called hell for all of eternity, or we give those sins over in repentance and faith to Jesus who paid for them on the cross of Calvary, and we spend eternity with Him in heaven, and His Spirit lives with us immediately. That's the question. Guilty, vile, and helpless we. That's us. But spotless Lamb of God was He. Full atonement, can it be? Hallelujah, what a Savior. But lastly, and I don't mean to get super theological on you this morning, but it's important. Lastly, I want us to see that the cross displayed His priesthood. The cross... Displayed his priesthood. And so Jesus hangs on the cross and the father turns his back. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he cries out and he breathes his last breath. And I don't even know what that sounded like. And so what happens? What happens as a result? You know what happens? You and I, because of what Jesus did in taking that last breath on the cross... We have direct access to Creator God. Not through a priest. Not through a temple. Not through a church. Not through a religious leader. But through Jesus Christ. And through Christ alone. Mark 15, 38 in our text. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two. From top to bottom. And if I may say, a casual reading of this text, we may blow by that verse. Because there's some crazy things going on. There's a lot going on. We may blow by that verse. But the importance of that verse is staggering. No longer would the high priest be the one to enter the Holy of Holies once a year. If you've been reading your Bible chronologically... To make atonement for the sins. You may have missed it because you may have been like dozing off as you were going through some of these portions of the Old Testament. But no more would the high priest have to go in once a year and do this, 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 this. 
before he could walk into the Holy of Holies and the presence of the Lord would be there and he would atone for the sins of the people and he would, he would, he would plead forgiveness on our behalf. No longer would that have to take place. No longer are we required to confess our sins to a priest. Because the veil was torn, now I can enter the presence of my Creator. Not in my sin. I cannot enter His presence in my sin. But because of Jesus and the fact that Jesus tore the curtain, I can enter in to a relationship with God. That door is shut in our sin. But that door named Jesus is open in our belief, in our repentance, and in our faith. Jesus is our high priest. The book of Hebrews talks a lot about this, but Jesus is our high priest. He made the only way for us to be reconciled to our Creator God. I, Jesus said, am the way, the truth, and the life. So that curtain of that temple that would block everyone from going into the Holy of Holies. That curtain that would stop sinful Israelites from going into the presence of God. That curtain, it was torn. It was open. And now you and I can experience God's presence. Yes, I'm not getting off on a tangent this morning. But we can experience His presence through His Spirit. The cross displayed His priesthood this morning. And now you and I have access to God. I've done this illustration a couple of different times in the last couple of weeks, but it's as if God is back here at this wall and Stephen is right there and there is no way Stephen is getting from there to that wall, but it's as if Jesus, he bridged that gap. And you take his hand and he reconciles you to God. So what do we make of this this morning? Let me ask it this way. Why does any of this matter to you this morning? My prayer is that if you made your way to our church this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you will have the reaction of the centurion, the soldier who was standing near the cross. When that centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was a son of God. I've done a terrible job today of trying to paint a picture of the cross. And by the way, every single pastor or preacher that you ever hear preach a sermon on the cross will do a terrible job explaining the cross. It's inexplicable. But I ask you today that Jesus that hung on that cross, the one that we'll find out on Easter Sunday, was buried and rose again three days later. What does that matter to you? What will you do with what the Bible claims is the gospel? What will you do with Jesus? 
Will you accept the fact that he died on the cross and he was your substitutionary atonement? He paid for your sin. He became your sin. Will you repent and believe on the name of Jesus and give him your sin and let him pay for your sin? It's already done. Or this morning, will you choose in your pride to bear the penalty of sin on your own? And it's not pretty. The wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from your creator. I wish that on no one. Maybe you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus. I don't know about you. But I need reminders of this text on a consistent basis. I get very regimented. I get going through the motions. Loving Jesus. Serving Jesus. Loving my neighbor. Interacting with my church family. If I'm not careful, I don't go back and revisit this. Christian, this is our, this is our greatest motivator. The cross. To bring it down on a practical level as we close. It's our greatest motivator. Why, do I, why am I to be a good husband to my wife? Because of the cross. Because of Jesus. Why am I to be a good father to my children? Because of Jesus. Because of the cross. Why am I to lead this church? And, and why are the other elders in this church to lead this church? Because of Jesus. Because of the cross. Why am I to be involved in personal Bible reading and worship and prayer time and study? Why am I and you, not just the pastor, but why are we called to do that? Because the cross should motivate us. Because Jesus should motivate us. Hey, why, are we, why, why do we stress the importance of getting together uh, with your uh, connect group throughout the week and, and connecting with other people within our church? Why do we, why do we want you? Because of the cross. There are a lot of other motivators out there. Guilt is the worst one. Duty, another bad one. Love, the cross, supreme motivators. Why do we encourage you to, to come to church every single Sunday? And by the way, if I can just pause, if you are not sick and you are in town, the cross ought to motivate your butt on Sunday morning to get up and come to church. For the three of y'all online watching. No, I'm just kidding. If you ain't sick and you're in town, the cross, and I'm not, the pastor shouldn't motivate you. The cross ought to motivate you. You mean to tell me I get to gather with a bunch of people who've been saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, and I get to hang out with them again this Sunday? Man, I need to be around my brothers and sisters in Christ. I need that. I need to lift my hands in worship. I need, you know why? Because of the cross this morning. Not for some social club. For the cross. Christian, that ought to be our motivator. Why should you work hard at work tomorrow? Why should you should be honest in your business dealings? Because of the cross. Why should you be kind to that jerk at work that you hate? Because of the cross. Why should you get along with those 
that aunt and uncle or that, that parent or that brother or sister that you no longer get because of the cross. Because of the cross. Because everything else in comparison to Jesus doesn't matter. If you're here today and you've never experienced that Jesus, the one who died on the cross for you, today can be the day that you experience him in all of his love, all of his lordship. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.